would like for you to hear a first-hand testimony of one who has been uh, trained there at Meta. So I'm going to ask Edwin to come up. Uh, this is going to be neat because Edwin's going to speak in Spanish. Who here speaks Spanish? Let's say who understands Spanish. There you go. Great, great. Edwin will speak Spanish. I will interpret in English, and Lisa will interpret in sign language. Does anybody else want to interpret anything? <laughs> is there German or whatever? This is great. I have two interpreters here, okay? So I'll have Edwin just uh, take a couple of minutes to, to just share with you. Uh, first of all, very, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. Es, es emocionante el saber de que en diferentes países podemos adorar al mismo Dios. It is just so exciting to see that in different countries we could worship the same God. Y estoy muy contento de estar aquí en su país. I am very happy to be here in your country. Y escuchar de que hay tres iglesias diferentes las cuales apoyaron la institución donde me formé. And to hear that there are three churches here represented uh, that supported the institute where uh, I was trained. Ustedes pudieron ver eh, imágenes y a través de la voz de, un, de una persona you lo could, que Meda hace. You could see from the images and the voice uh, what Meda is all about. Pero aquí pueden ver un testimonio vivo de lo que Meda realmente está haciendo. And here we have now a live uh, image of what Meda is doing. My theology changed radically when I came into Meda. I grew up in a charismatic church. And I only was taught what uh, the Sunday school teachers taught me and whatever my parents uh, followed. Y al salir terminar lo que es el colegio, and after finishing uh, high school, decidí siempre mi deseo era estudiar la palabra de Dios. My desire was always to study the word of God. Y voy a cortar un poco la, el testimonio. I'm going to make my testimony a little shorter. Traté en varias ocasiones entrar a la universidad y no pude. Uh, I tried in different occasions to uh, enter the university, but I couldn't. Y se dio la oportunidad de poder eh, ir a Meda y poder trabajar para Meda, pero también estudiar en Meda. Uh, there was an opportunity then that came up that where I could go to Meda, I could study in Meda, and even work there in Meda. Y luego, después de hablar con mis padres, tomé la decisión de ir a Meda. And after talking to my parents, I made the decision to go ahead and go to Meda. Solo tenía 17 años. I only was 17 years old. Eh, implicaba bastante eh, sacrificio. And it, it mean, meant a lot of sacrifice. Porque toda mi familia vive a dos horas de donde está ubicado Meda. Because all my family lived about two hours from where Meda was. Tenía que ir solo, eh, sin familia, sin amigos. A un lugar totalmente nuevo. I had to go alone without family and without friends to a place um, that I didn't know. Pero ahora, en día, yo puedo decir que fue una gran decisión. But now, today, I can tell you that it was a, a, a great decision. Meda 
Meta has given everything that I know through the servants of the Lord. Cada año que estudié en Meda, estudié cinco años. Every year that I studied in Meda, I studied there five years. Cada año que pasaba, yo me sentía como que no sabía nada. Every year that went by, I felt like I didn't know anything. <laughs> es asombroso lo que Dios está haciendo a través del ministerio de Meda. It is amazing what the Lord is doing through the ministry of Meda. Pero no solo en mi vida, pero a través de la vida de mis compañeros. Not only uh, through my life, but through the life of uh, my companions, my friends. Cómo Dios cambió su púlpito, su predicación. How God has changed their pulpits, uh, their preaching. Y cómo la iglesia podía notar esa predicación que provenía de la palabra de Dios. And how the, how the churches could notice and observe that preaching that was coming straight from the Bible. Solo quiero agradecerle a cada una de las iglesias que han estado apoyando este ministerio. I just want to thank each and every one of the churches that have been supporting this uh, ministry. Y decirles que están haciendo una gran labor para el Señor. And to tell you that you're doing a great labor, a great job for the Lord. Muchos de los hondureños y aún Centroamérica está siendo beneficiado por este ministerio. And many of the Hondurans and I would say even Central Americans are being benefited through this ministry. Gracias por su apoyo. Thank you for your support. Y ahora quiero contarles un poco acerca del ministerio que desarrollo en la iglesia como and, pastor de jóvenes. And now I just want to tell you a little bit about the ministry that the Lord's placed me over at our church. Mientras trabajaba y estudiaba en Meda, se dio la oportunidad de poder eh, trabajar con jóvenes. Uh, while I was working uh, at Meda and studying there, uh, I also had the opportunity to work with the youth at the church. Y ahora tengo alrededor de seis a siete años de estar trabajando en, el, en esta iglesia. And now it's about six or seven years that I have been working at this church. Dios ha puesto un gran amor y gran deseo de trabajar con jóvenes. And the Lord has placed in my heart a great desire to work with the youth. Y hasta este punto ha sido pero una bendición enorme para mi vida. And at this point has been just an enormous blessing in my life. Dios me ha dado la oportunidad de estar entrenando actualmente y estar sirviéndole a 44 jóvenes. And uh, the Lord has just given me the opportunity to be able to train and teach uh, around 40, 40 or 45 uh, youth. Y la mayoría, el mayor porcentaje de la iglesia son jóvenes. And the, um, most of the church are youth. Los jóvenes están involucrados en lo que son la música, maestros de escuela dominical, club de niños. The children are involved, I mean the youth are involved in the music group, uh, leading worship. The youth are involved in teaching Sunday school. They are involved in teaching the children's clubs. Y es una bendición ver cómo ellos van creciendo, pero todo fundamentado en la palabra de Dios. And it's just so wonderful to see how they are growing and everything based on the word of God. Y eso es a través de lo que Meda me ha enseñado a mí y yo puedo transmitírselos a ellos. And that is uh, because of what Meda has taught me and now I can transfer that to the youth. Entonces le agradecería las oraciones de cada uno de ustedes and por so, los, uh, el ministerio. So I would ask you to continue to pray for uh, my ministry. Y gracias por esta oportunidad de poder compartir con ustedes. And thank you for this opportunity to be able to share with you. God bless you. All right. Thank you, Edwin. Um, it really is uh, wonderful to see 
what uh, the Lord is doing. And we have new batch of students every year coming in. And I had the opportunity. I, I You're probably wondering, what, what do you do, Carlos? You know, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. What, what do I do? Can't <laughs> not much. <laughs> no, it, the Lord has given me a privilege to uh, give leadership to the Meta ministry, but also be a professor in, um, at the seminary. The seminary is in modular form, two weeks at a time, every five weeks. The students come in. Uh, they learn intensely for two weeks straight, and uh, I've had the great opportunity to be able to teach just about every class. And this year, I, for the first time, I taught what was the first class, uh, the observation and grammar class, grammar in Spanish. Um, and uh, that was just, it, it's, it's really interesting because... It sounds pretty much like, well, that sounds kind of boring. You know, what is a subject? What is a noun? What's a preposition? Where does this preposition go and everything? And, uh, and, and as we went through the class, uh, it was just phenomenal to see what happened at the end of two weeks. We were going through, just to give you a, an example, in, on um, January when I was teaching this class, I had a... Uh, student body there, student class of about, uh, I think about 16 students, most of them pastors. And we were going through a passage in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And I was explaining to them just the grammatical parts of speech. Through the passage we were diagramming. If, I don't know if you even know what that is. Some people don't even do that anymore. Diagramming. So to be able to visually see how the uh, parts of speech are connected to each other. And we were doing that. And, and we came across this prepositional phrase. And I said, okay, here we have a prepositional phrase. Where does it go? Does it go under this noun, describing the noun? Or does it go under this verb, describing the verb? Where does it go? Do you know where it goes? Can you really preach this without knowing where this prepositional phrase goes? This was, this was Friday, the last class. And one student raised his hand. And he said, uh, Professor Carlos, what am I going to do on Sunday? I said, what do you mean? He said, for two weeks, I've been basically learning here, realizing I've been doing it all wrong. I've been doing it all wrong, and I've got to preach on Sunday. And I'm scared. And I said, great. That's exactly where you need to be. You need to tremble. This is God's word. And you don't know, if you don't even know where the prepositional phrase goes, how are you going to get up there and say this is what God says if you don't know what God has said? And other students raise their hands, hey, I'm with you. I, I know what you do. So, you know, so they were, they were scared. What am I going to do on Sunday? And so I gave them a little help on what to do on Sunday. I won't tell you. That's kind of cheating. You'll need to come to Sepe to, uh, <laughs> to know what to do. Uh, but they, 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 got, they, they got the picture. This is a serious matter. This is not something that you, you, you fool around with. You know, you're not going to go to a doctor who's never studied medicine. You know, you're going to want to know this doctor has studied medicine. You want to know that this doctor has a good reputation. And then you're going to give your body to this person to look over. What about your soul? We have doctors in a pulpit who don't even know how to look at scripture and what it says so we want to be that 
medical school, if you will, to teach these people how to handle God's word so that they'd be able to say with confidence, I'm going to walk up that pulpit always trembling. You should always tremble as we walk into the pulpit. I'm going to walk to that pulpit and say, thus says the Lord, because this is what I have studied. This is what I have learned through scripture. And not only that, we, we don't want the, the students simply to fill their minds with information. We don't want the students to just simply uh, have an academic knowledge of what's going on, but we are concerned also of their spiritual lives. We are concerned that they walk with Christ, not only uh, teach what they've learned, but that they can walk it and with their lives they can teach it. We have also implemented uh, little discipleship groups, and that, that has just been an incredible time. Uh, we meet twice a week with our little discipleship group, and we just pour out our hearts. Guys, what are the things that you're struggling with? Guys, this is what we need to do to protect us, to, to be those pastors that are irreproachable. What are we doing? What are we doing with our wives? What are we doing with our children? What are we doing with our church? How are we living our lives? And those times have been just wonderful times where these students, in all their humility, say, this is, this is the struggle, this is what's happening, let's pray together. And uh, so we, we don't want to just create robotic ac you know, academic persons. We want them to live Christ. We want them to live that humility that comes from knowing Christ. And so uh, it's, just, it's just wonderful to see. I've had the opportunity to actually go to churches where uh, these uh, students have uh, are, are at. I uh, had this, it was just really neat, one uh, church I went to last year where they were celebrating uh, Pastor's Day. They have a Pastor's Day there. They celebrate every year a Pastor's Day. We should probably do that here, right? Pastor Mike? <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's just, it was just really neat to see as they're honoring their pastor, and the recurring, as people came up to give their testimony of this one pastor, the recurring theme was, I thank the Lord because this pastor is giving us the word of God. That was just wonderful. It was just, it was just music to my ears. Uh, this pastor feeds us with God's word. And uh, I just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that they are taking their training and they are using their training to teach these people the word of God. I, what, I, what I would like to see is I'd like to see a fire just uh, run through all of Honduras with good biblical teaching. And it, it would just spread and spread and spread, not only Honduras, but also all throughout Central America. Not only all throughout Central America. Check this out. We had the opportunity to go to Peru just recently. And uh, they're saying, as we've given conferences over there, they're saying, please help us. We need this kind of training. Uh, we'd like to come up there. Uh, we, need to, we need to be trained this way so that we can teach. There's, a, there's one fella in the jungles of Peru. still has got a lot of jungles in the jungles of, of uh, Peru. And he oversees hundreds of churches, hundreds of churches. And he says, I need this kind of training. What can you do? So we're, we're as a board are thinking about, you know, what is it that we can do to help in Peru? The fire is spreading, and, and we, we want that. Why? Because God deserves his name to be exalted all over the world, all over the world. And so uh, thank you, each one of you, for your involvement in the Meta ministry. The Lord has also blessed me with the uh, ministry at the church. 
uh, as an elder there at the church. Uh, now there are three elders at a church. We started off, I remember when we first got there nine years ago, uh, things were a little different. Uh, it was even discouraging at times. Whoa, should we stick this out? And then we just we said, Lord, no, the Lord, we believe the Lord placed us there. And things just began to change and change. And now we have uh, such a wonderful leadership team. Pastor Raul is uh, basically the, the um, what, would you, what you would label kind of like the senior pastor, myself as an elder, and uh, Edwin as elder as well there. And Pastor Raul has been trained with a one-year program there at the uh, seminary. Edwin has been trained at the seminary. We have two daughter churches. The one daughter church in Socorro. I think uh, some of you have been to Socorro. I can't remember who, possibly. Uh, is being The pastor there is being trained by Meda. We have another uh, daughter church in La Paz, which is about an hour away. And that pastor is coming to seminary either in July or next uh, January. And so that just gives me joy as these pastors see the need to be able to be trained so that they could preach the word of God uh, greatly. And so uh, it's just like I said, it's just wonderful to see these men. And what we want is men who are truly committed to Christ, who have great faith in him, no matter the circumstances. There are circumstances that are really tough. There are barriers there that are tough, and uh, economic barriers, uh, social barriers, uh, but these men need to be men of great faith and overcome these barriers. And with that said, uh, I still have about two or three hours. I would like to take, to you, take you to the 15th chapter of Matthew. The 15th chapter of Matthew, I'm just kidding, about two or three hours. We just wanted to give you just a few little thoughts in this passage that has, has truly had a great impact in my life, as I, as I see the context, it is amazing what the Lord Jesus Christ does here and how Matthew captures this with the way he writes this book and this con- in the context he places this one story in, in Matthew chapter 15. And I would like to read to you verses... 21 through 28. Verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And the disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. This is an incredible story in Jesus' life. 
And actually, it piques also our curiosity because there are some hard sayings here. There's things that are said here and just kind of like, wait a minute, is, is, is this really Jesus saying this? And one starts thinking, what is happening here? And we see that Matthew captures this and writes it down in the context of what happened before. Jesus went away from there. From where? Well, he was ministering in the area of Galilee. And in verses 1 through through 20, he had an encounter with the Pharisees and the scribes, says in verse 1. An encounter with the Pharisees and scribes. He had an encounter with the religious leaders of the day. He had an encounter with religiosity and its tradition. In verses 21 through 28, he had an encounter with a pagan woman. With paganism, but with her faith. So we have two encounters here, really. An encounter with religious leaders and their tradition, an encounter with a pagan woman and her faith. What happened in that encounter with the religious leaders? Just real quickly, verses 1, and I'll just read verses 1 in a few verses. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? He confronts them forthrightly. Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You're doing things for your tradition and you're annihilating, you're abolishing, annulling the commandment of God. Then he explains what commandment that they are nullifying. Verse 4, for God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. You see, their tradition was, they, they knew honor your father and mother, and they had that obligation to honor them also economically, financially. But their tradition was that if they gave to God, that they gave this offering to God, then they did not have to honor their parents. So they would give to, quote-unquote, God, which actually was self-benefiting, as they were leaders of the synagogue. And they say, hey, Mom, Dad, sorry, I gave to God. You know, sorry about that. You're on your own. And they were nullifying the commandment of God. It says there in verse 6, He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You have made your tradition the foundation of all you do. Your conviction is your tradition. And in verse 7 he says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. 
After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters in the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. This is their problem, he's saying. Hear and understand. They want you to wash their hands and everything. They want all this external stuff. And they think this external stuff is what makes them holy and right before God. But it's not this external stuff. It's the internal. It's not what enters into the mouth, but what proceeds out of the mouth. And what proceeds out of the mouth is just a reflection of what proceeds out of the heart. Out of the heart. Now, don't miss this. This, we need to see clearly what happens here. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Christ, Jesus, you've blown it. You've offended them. That's not good. I mean, calling them hypocrites, couldn't you say, Oh, um, you're kind of wrong there, uh, Pharisee. You know, uh, I don't want to be offensive, you know, but, but you call them hypocrites. You've offended them. And I really believe that the disciples, in saying that, I believe they also were offended. They were Jews. They knew the traditions. They knew what uh, they had been doing for all their lives. And Christ was just demolishing that tradition. And they kind of got a little upset about it. And it, uh, the Pharisees are offended. Christ, that is not good. This is not good. Uh, this is not a good strategy to reach people. You don't go around offending people. Christ, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's read some good evangelistic books on how to evangelize because this is not good. You've offended the leaders. Not good. And then Christ goes on to explain. Christ is tired. He has just had a confrontation with the leaders, and the leaders did not accept his confrontation, did not want to hear his confrontation. They were men of tradition, and they were going to stick it out with their tradition. He wanted to retreat a bit. And so he went from Galilee to a land of Tyre and Sidon. The land of Tyre and Sidon, which is a bit northwest of Galilee. It was a pagan town. It was a Gentile town. And that's where Christ went. To retreat a little bit, maybe to just get a little breather. And all of a sudden, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And we see in verse 28 that Christ commends her faith. It is a great faith. And what I want you to see here, what is it that marks great faith? Great faith. And I believe as we see this, it should be what should mark our lives. It should be what should mark the students' lives at Meta. It should be what should mark everyone's life. First of all, great faith recognizes who truly Christ is. Who is Christ? Great faith must understand who is Jesus Christ. 
anyone from the region came, have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. Two titles, Lord and Son of David. And I do believe that as he, when he calls, she calls him Lord, I believe she is saying, you are Lord. You do have the right to obligate me to whatever you want. You are Lord. You are owner. I'm a slave. You are Lord. You are the master. I'm simply a subject. She recognizes the lordship of Christ. And she recognizes, I do believe, that uh, this is somebody beyond the idols that they have been worshiping. Somebody real. Somebody who had the power to heal and to save. And, and, And what's interesting is she calls him son of David. Son of David. Now this is coming out of the mouth of a pagan woman. A Gentile. But she apparently knew enough to know that the Christ would come out of Israel. And the son of David title has everything to do with the royal line of Christ. He was the son of David. In other words, he had all right to uh, take the throne of David, to be king of Israel. And she knew again that he had this authority to be king of Israel and to be king of her life. She recognized who Christ was. She recognized he's Lord. And he must be Lord. And I have no choice. I have no option but to be that slave under Christ's lordship. That's what she's saying. Not only does she recognize who Christ is, but secondly, great faith recognizes the need for mercy. She cries out saying, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. She realizes that, okay, she knows she's got a problem. And she comes to him and doesn't say, listen, my daughter is sick and I really believe that I deserve that I have a good daughter. I really believe that I deserve that I have a healed daughter. No, she says, have mercy on me. I don't deserve this, but poor mercy. Give me that which will calm the affliction that I am enduring. Have mercy, I don't deserve it. So I do believe that great faith recognizes who is Christ and great faith recognizes the need of mercy. And she displayed these two things. But now comes in verses 23 and beyond Christ's answer. And here we see what great faith also is marked by. It is marked by overcoming barriers. Overcoming barriers. You see, what happens in verses 23 and on is Christ's response to her petition for mercy is really a test of her faith. He's already seen that she has approached him in faith as Lord, as son of David, asking for mercy. How deep and strong is really this faith? And he wants to test her. He has all right to do that. God has tested faith throughout history. Did he not do it with Abraham? He promised Abraham a son. And then he says, give me back the son. Kill your son. Abraham says, what, you crazy? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. You say you're going to give me a son, and now you tell me to give it. This doesn't make sense, Lord. 
to test of his faith. Will he believe? And this is what Christ is doing. Because look at the barriers that are set to see if this this, this faith can go through the barriers. But he did not answer her a word. That's the first barrier. First barrier. She asks, she petitions. She cries out for mercy. And the Lord's initial answer is nothing. Nothing. person could say, uh, hello, I just asked for something. And there was nothing. Forget you. You're just like my false gods that I've been worshiping for years. They haven't done anything for me. Now you're not doing anything for me. Forget you. I don't need this kind of God. I need a quick fix. And you're not doing it. That was the first barrier. But look at the second barrier, guys. The second barrier is the reproach of the disciples. I want to hone in on this for a little bit. These are men that God, that Christ has been walking with for several years. These are men who Christ has been pouring his life in. These are men who were at the bosom of Christ and in his ups and his downs. And, and I found this fascinating. And his disciples came. Does that sound familiar? Remember verse 12? Then the disciples came and said to him, Verse 23, and the disciples came and implored him. We had two encounters. One encounter with the Pharisees. The disciples, when when Christ confronted the Pharisees, the disciples came and said, Ooh, not good, Jesus. You've offended them. But here, Jesus doesn't say anything to the woman. And the disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. This low life. Here they wish he would have offended her. Here they wish that he would have just sent them away. This is a bother. Take this woman away. Get out of here. All she does is bother our time. We came out to the retreat. I want a little time of rest. She's just bothering us, Christ. Get her out of here. This is not good for us. Sometimes, do we act the same way? The lower life, we like our spiritual giants. You know, we like to respect them and everything. And if there is some kind of offense against it, ooh, (laughs) that's very offensive. But those quote-unquote marginal ones send them away we don't need to be bothered the disciples reproached her I believe they were still a little bit offended by what Christ said about the traditions of the Pharisees because that was their tradition this is their culture and now they're they're walking in this town uh, surrounded by sinners Ugh. Let's, 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 just, let's get rid of this thing, okay? I don't want to be around these people. There's reproach also from the disciples, second barrier. But then Christ sets up another barrier. Christ himself. 
he now speaks. He answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now he speaks. When he speaks, you, you, you think he would say, disciples, you're wrong. I need to talk to this lady. She's got a need. But it seems like he's saying, you know, disciples, you're right. You're right. I'm, 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 I've got I've to speak and preach, and I've got to minister to the Jews and not to low lives like this. And when he said that, I'm sure the disciples said, yeah, he's on our side now. That's right. Say it again. That's right. Do it. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's true. Is, is, he, is he lying? Is he saying that, that, that he only is going to minister to, to Israel, not to Gentiles? No, he's, he's, he's telling the truth that he was sent to bring the kingdom to Israel. And you have to understand the context here. Remember in chapter 12. He says, if you, had a belie- if you had believed, you would see the kingdom to the Pharisees who blasphemed the Holy Spirit by saying that Christ's work was out of the power of demons. So he was sent to the house of Israel. But why is he saying this? Because he wants to set a barrier to see if true faith, if great faith will break the barrier. Because only great faith will break it. First barrier, he doesn't respond. Second barrier, the reproach of the disciples. Third barrier, the priority of Israel. And then, a fourth barrier. She came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. At this point, she could have easily said, you proud scum. You're no different than the scribes and Pharisees. You want your own little exclusive group? I'm out of here. Forget it. But she knew he was the only hope. She knew her gods would not do anything. She knew he was the only one that could, that could do and have the power to heal her daughter and to give her mercy. And so she came, bowed down before him and said, Help, Lord, help. Again, Lord, Master, help me. But this cry out of help, he sets up another barrier. And this one is an offensive kind of barrier. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You would think the disciples would say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, another evangelism course, Christ. Um, you just called her a dog. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I don't know if that's good. You know, uh, the disciples are probably like, good job, Lord, there we go. You know, it's, that's the way to do it. Basically, he says, listen, the children, children of Israel, the analogy here is the children of Israel, are the ones that should receive the bread the kingdom. And it's not reasonable that the dogs would receive it. I mean, you know, women would say, you just called me a dog. Um, But listen how she responds. 
Listen how she overcomes the barrier and listen how she breaks and, cr and just crushes the barriers. She says, yes, Lord. You know what she's saying? Yes, Lord, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely correct. I'm a dog. You're absolutely right. You have it right. I don't deserve anything. In the eyes of you, I am nothing but a low-life dog. Yes, Lord. I don't deserve this. I deserve death. But if it's in you, if it's in you, can I just carry that analogy a little further? Even the dogs will benefit from the crumbs. Even the dogs would benefit from the crumbs. And if it's in you, benefit me with just a slight crumb. Just, just a little bit of grace. I don't deserve it. You're absolutely right. I'm an absolute dog. I am a sinner. I can only imagine that the disciples probably were like, uh, and I can only imagine that probably Christ was human and probably a tear was shed in Christ's eyes. He had just had a confrontation with those who knew the law, those who studied the law, those who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. And he could only think, my own people have rejected me. And here is a pagan who considers herself a dog and is crying out for mercy. Here's a person who has displayed humility. Just give me a bit of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She passed the test. She broke all the barriers. Her faith came through as a shining light. And so in verse 28, Jesus said to her, Oh woman, your faith is great. Your faith is great. Now, what are the disciples thinking? Their, their, their feathers are ruffled. She has just, he has just put a stamp of approval on this pagan woman. They must be thinking, what are we going to go with? The tradition of our leaders or the faith of this pagan woman? You see, I think Christ was doing this not only to show us what great faith is, but I think Christ was also doing this to help us as disciples of Christ to know how to respond. How should we respond? We should all respond with humility. He's working with his disciples. We who have been with Christ so much, are we responding with humility? Are we with all joy and humility giving crumbs to the lower class? to those who need the grace of God. We can only do that if we recognize ourselves that we are nothing but sinners 
in great need of grace. You see, Paul understood that. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of Jews. He, in terms of, of, of persecuting the church, he was godly in his eyes, in, in, uh, uh, in quotes. But he says, 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a worthy say, statement, worthy to be received. Jesus Christ came to the world to die for sinners, of which I am the first. I deserve absolutely nothing. I am currently a sinner in great need of grace. That's what God is looking for, that kind of humility. He wants us to say, yes, Lord, we're dogs. <laughs> Thank you for your grace so that we can take that and share the crumbs of bread with those who are in need, whether it's high class or low class. Then he goes on further and he deals with the the, the disciples on in chapter 16. And he's, you know, he's, he's saying, guys, people say I'm such and such. I'm such. What do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter was starting to get it. He was starting to get it. It had nothing to do with the leaders. It had nothing to do with himself. It had to do everything with Christ and his grace. And upon this rock, he says in verse 18, I will build my church. That's us. Upon what? Recognizing that Christ is who he is, and we are dogs in need of grace. Once we capture that, once we have that kind of faith, then Christ will say, Oh, woman or man, your faith is great. May we walk with great faith. Amen, brothers? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this example of Christ who works with the heart of this woman, but also is working with the hearts of the disciples. Father, may we walk understanding that we are absolutely nothing without Christ and that we are in great need of his grace, of the crumbs that fall from the table so that we can share that with others as well. Thank you, Father, for the example of this persistent woman's faith. May our faith be persistent. And may it be persistent in sharing, not only here in this community, as there is such a great mission field just around here and, 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 and the university, and the Father may go beyond the boundaries of this community, even overseas, sharing crumbs with others. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry that you've placed each and every one of us in. Help us, Father, to be people of great faith for the glory and honor and the exaltation of the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.